So, so tell me about its genesis. Where did the story <coughs> come from? Is it based on a real, real story? Absolutely, yes. Jim Neat was my father. Uh -huh. Yeah. So he was a very mysterious presence in my life. Didn't know very much about him until many, many, many years after he died. <coughs> Something happened in the family, as does happen in families, and it made me want to find out who he was. I became very curious about my father. So I set out on a <coughs> journey of massively long journey of research. And did you did you find things you really didn't want to know, as it were? I mean, awkward mm. truths or no, not really. Well, yes and no, but I've turned it into something positive for him Wonderful. and for me and Wonderful. for anybody else who's had the same kind of experience. Because he had a really tough life and he didn't want to talk about it. So I found out about it, but I've presented it in such a way that I feel. You know, I've made something out of his life. Otherwise, he would have been totally forgotten. He was a very ordinary person, but he had this extraordinary life. <coughs> and I've wanted to honour it. I look forward to hearing a reading. Okay. Mary Thank J. You. Oliver. <coughs> well, Jim was born with a club foot. And he was sent to a school for crippled poor boys, which wasn't much fun. And he ran away to sea when he was 15. And on his first voyage, he had a terrible experience which forced him to jump ship and he got to Cape Town. But in Cape Town, he had a rather lovely experience in a shed. <laughs> <laughs> and <coughs> this is the first poem because it's a memoir. It's made up of poems mostly and photographs and found documents. This is, this is the first poem I'm going to read you. It's in the voice of a 14-year-old girl. And it's called Bliss in Cape Town, 1921. I don't find Jim in dockyard lying on shed floor. He looks scared. I close door gentle. No worry, I say. I call Bliss. And I kiss him rose flower mouth. Pleasure sailor, that my job. But this different. I only 14, don't forget. He 15, 16 most. Old sailor done rape him cabin boy every day, Jim tell me. So he jumped ship. I like your yellow hair, I say. I bring him string beans and a pear from my stepdaddy plot. Cassava and rice from ship I work nights. A mango, a plum, and a small pickle fish one day. He loved Table Mountain, pick upside little window while we eat and laugh a lot and roll around. Oh, bliss, he say, marry me. Then you not do this nice thing with bad men you not love. Never again. You mad sugar bush, no, I say, and throw him white arm far away. You desert ship. You got no right. No pass. Law here, hang you. Liberty Bell, she in dock, and I know she sailed tonight. You go. Soon as dark, Jim and me, we go quiet from shed, we lay. Crew on waterfront, all busy, all girls and boys, they say bye-bye. Jim, he fly like mosquito round me. Here, there, he kissed me. Then, short time hush. 
him sweet head in bliss black hands. Up, up gangplank he zigzag. Gone. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. So he spent many years at sea and had many more adventures. Eventually, he emigrated to Canada. Had a very tough time. He was hoping to become a wealthy farmer and have a nice, happy farmer's wife. But by the time he got to Canada, it was the time of the Great Depression, the 1930s. So he actually had an incredibly tough time. And there are several poems that reflect that time. And this one <coughs> is, takes place in the lumber camp, north of Saskatchewan, and it's December 1926. So he spent many years travelling backwards and forwards across Canada, rail riding, looking for work, or being herded into a work camp because he didn't have any work. But this is when he was working on a lumber camp. And the poem is called Imaginary Widow. Electro chainsaws arrived last week from Germany. Job will be kid stuff now, boss said. That was a lie. My mate was killed the first day. A dead branch fell out of the tree he was ripping into. Widow makers, they're called. How I long for the woman who will be widowed if one falls on me. Well, he found that woman. He found a wonderful Ukrainian immigrant <coughs> called Lisbieta. And they had some glorious times. And I'm going to read a few short extracts from Lisbieta's diary. April 1932. A man with an English accent came in the bookstore this afternoon, took heart of darkness out of the window, sat on the settee in the back, reading all afternoon. Sure you don't mind, he said, because I can't pay, don't have a dime. I made him coffee, so I guess he felt welcome. <coughs> he wore a massive overcoat tied at the waist with binder twine and looked half-starved. Wish I'd asked him where he was from. A year later, we find that they've um, adopted, as it were, um, an abandoned homestead in the remote parts of Saskatchewan and they're in heaven so July 1933 she says there are woods nearby so we're never short of logs we have a milk cow bony beautiful sappho two hogs chickens geese a beehive and an apple orchard and we share a horse with two families who live nearby February 1934. Jim took the horse and sledge to Digby Woods to fell birch for fuel. He tied a pillow to his chest underneath his coat to keep warm while driving. I laughed so hard to see my slim Jim fat. I wet myself. No laughing matter in these temperatures. He said the trees shattered like glass when he axed them. October 1934. 
no period last week. I've been throwing up every morning. I'm so happy I've just jumped up onto the windowsill. November 1934. All night long, Jim wraps himself around our baby and me. He says when I go into labour, he'll read to me from Joseph Conrad. <laughs> I dream about the river. Sadly, the next time we see Jim, he's in a mental hospital in Ontario. Unfortunately, <coughs> the superintendent of the hospital takes a great interest in him, and he's an enlightened bloke. Jim's in a terrible state, unable even to speak and to explain what's happened to him. And so this superintendent encourages him to explore his state of mind through writing. And so with access to these papers, we learn what eventually had happened to him. So this is something that Jim wrote while he was in the hospital. It's called The Homecoming, 1935. I get back to Saskatoon with $80 in my pocket for Liz Bietta, but she is dead. She died five days ago, Valentina tells me. We buried her by the river. Valentina's sobbing. I shake her. She falls to the floor. I pull her to her feet. The baby, she says, they took the baby to an orphanage. They say you can't see her because you're of no fixed abode. I'm running. Valentina follows me down Queen Street to the Bethany home for unwed mothers and illegitimate babies. I hammer on the fortified door. Women in uniform push me down the steps. Doors slam, bolts yanked across. I break a window, blood and glass. I'm in handcuffs, in a hospital for the insane, in a straitjacket, my mouth so dry I can't speak. Signed, Jim Neat, Whitby Hospital, Ontario. April 1936. Well, he made a very good friend while he was in this hospital who had friends in high places and enabled him to get deported back to UK after 10 years in Canada. He comes back to Canada, sorry, he comes back to the UK just in time to have to sign up because war's been declared. So on the eve of being sent out to North Africa, having joined the Royal Pioneers, I found a postcard that he sent to his beloved sister, Queenie. June 1940. Dearest baby queen, I've met someone, a teacher, wild black hair and bewildering brown eyes. She was helping out in the canteen, sold me a packet of Craven A. Anybody remember Craven A? <laughs> she said, until she met me, the nicest thing anyone had ever said to her was that she looked like Beethoven. <laughs> She's called Kate. And we hope to marry before I'm posted to North Africa next week. Can't wait to introduce you. You'll adore each other. Your ever-loving brother, Jim. 
So that all happens in the first third of the book. So you have to get the book to read the rest. <laughs>